epistle of 1 John, if you find the end of your Bible, I think we're going to come to the place where we don't put the scripture up there, so you have to go to your own Bible. <laughs> Coming out of this COVID thing, we may because of streamline, I think we need to get back to some things like open your Bibles. First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Or if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. <clears throat> if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing, anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as, he, as it has taught you, abide in him. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flower fades and falls to the ground, but your word abides forever. We pray that not one word of it read this morning here among this congregation would fall to the ground without it accomplishing its purpose. And we know because of your word that it will not. And we pray and, and ask for this promise in Jesus' name. Amen. The end times are plainly spoken to us in Scripture. And so the question, as we look at the Scripture, is how is it that this book, by the Apostle John, given nearly 2,000 years ago, how does it speak of it being the last hour? It is a continuous present tense verb in verse 18 of our text, children, it is 
the last hour. It's not, it will be the last hour. It is the last hour. And he goes on to talk about the Antichrist, or an Antichrist, or many Antichrists. There's two answers. The first is, he is thinking and speaking of what the Lord Jesus plainly taught the apostles. That within the generation of his life, all these things would pass away. The Lord Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and repeated in, in Mark and Luke's um, account, talks about the men that will, there will be at the end time um, many false messiahs that would go out. He calls them pseudo-Christ, pseudo false Christ, that would go out. So there's a real sense that since the first century of Christ's uh, birth, it has been the last hour. But there's another sense, and there are too many passages in the New Testament that are like this one, where there is a present indicative sense of it being the last hour. So what is the answer? Well, I think it's, we have to remember the context. And sometimes we treat these passages like they're different from all the other scriptures in the Bible. But the context is, just as Jesus promised the disciples and all who would listen to his message in his last week of earthly ministry, that the temple, the nation of Israel, and everything about it would be taken away would be utterly devastated. And it happened exactly as Jesus promised. When uh, the Roman army came and invaded Jerusalem and tore the temple to the ground, burned it, defiled it, and destroyed it. And the, New and the Old Testament sacrificial system was completely set aside. It is the last hour of the Old Testament sacrificial system that I believe that John and in other places the Apostle Paul uh, is speaking of. And at the same time, it is very clear that that's not all they're speaking of. There is a yet future fulfillment of these passages. And whatever else you may say about it, the truth is we're much closer to that final day than we were 2,000 years ago when the scripture was given. Matthew Henry puts it this way. In his commentary on these passages, he says, it is the last hour when our Jewish polity in the church and state is ending. The institutions and discipline of the ceremonial law are ending. The animal sacrifices and the sacrifices in the temple are ending with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. 
So that's the context. So who is that Antichrist that is coming? And so now many Antichrists have come. Who are these pseudo-Christs, as Jesus refers to them, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 5? I believe these are quite different from the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, that is described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. There will be a future personage, I believe the scripture plainly teaches in that passage, who will be an Antichrist figure. I, I don't, I've read that passage over and over again, and I can't come to any other understanding. And I, I stand with, uh, I, I reasoned all the great commentators. And to me, you can go, you can do uh, far worse than Matthew Henry on that. And that's what he says as well. And I think that's um, abundantly clear. But that shouldn't remove us from the very present application that John is writing about and the extension of that application to our present time. And so that's what I hope to do. Uh, in, uh, in, in this application. Who were these antichrists? Again, he says, you know, you've heard that antichrist is coming, but now many antichrists have come. And therefore, we know it is the last hour. Jesus prophesied that many of these false Christs would come, and when they came, it would be a sign that the end was drawing near. You can read extra-biblical sources like the book of Josephus. If you haven't read Josephus, uh, particularly particular at the time around the destruction of Jerusalem and all the different uh, uh, things associated with that, you should. Um, one example of these antichrists were, were um, a group of radical Jews who started murdering their fellow Jews because they weren't uh, holy enough and because they accused them of collaborating with uh, the Roman Empire. In fact, they, they fled out into the Judean desert to a place called Masada. And they occupied that and, and held off the Romans for three years because they were so fanatical about um, uh, throwing out the Roman government. Uh, so, so there is one example of a people who were, were brutally hostile to the authorities. But you know, uh, but extra biblical sources are one thing, but what does the Bible say? Well, the book of Acts is full of these antichrists. In Acts chapter 5, for example, um, when the disciples were full of the Holy Spirit and began speaking and people hearing the Word of God in their own language. Um, the um, sign, miraculous uh, signs and wonders being performed and the high priest and the religious rulers of Jerusalem sought to stop, sought to stop them. You will remember um, that there was a wise man and they wanted to arrest them and, and put them away that uh, one of the leaders 
spoke up. Gamaliel, in chapter 5, verse 36, um, he was held, says he was held in honor by all the people and stood up and he gave orders to put them outside while he, he uh, reasoned with them. And he said, be careful what you're about to do to these men. I'm reading in Acts 5, uh, verse 35. For before those days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, he claimed to be the Messiah. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and he came to nothing. And then, verse 37, then there was Judas the Galilean. He rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people, and he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And then later on in chapter 21, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul is arrested and he's brought up on charges and, and the, the, uh, the guard in charge says, aren't you the Egyptian who led the rebellion? Now and Josephus talks about the same incident who, who said he was the Messiah. Uh, Josephus says they had 30,000 men. And I, I, I know Paul was accurate in Acts 21. He said there were 4,000 up on the Mount of Olives who were going to come in and bring in the kingdom. And Paul says, no, I'm not him. And you could go through Acts again. The, the, um, in Acts chapter 15, uh, those who sought to, uh, to uh, add to the gospel are considered, in 15 verse 1, are considered enemies to the gospel. You can talk about the savage wolves in Acts chapter 20 who would seek to lead God's people astray. Again, it's extra biblical sources, but most Bible scholars who know about the epistle of 1 John think that he is talking about a heretic by the name of Serenthius. Serenthius was... Um, a former Jew, a former member of the church, who began to teach his own theology. And what was his theology? Is that Jesus was not really fully human, that he was just a spirit being, and he didn't really come in the flesh, and that in order to really be right with God, you had to follow him and his teaching. A, a form of Gnosticism, um, called docetism that uh, was an early form of. So these are the, the antichrists that I believe that John is referring to. Not just one antichrist, not just the antichrist that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I urge you to read that, that passage of scripture carefully. But the spirit of antichrist that is multiplying, increasing in this age of the end of the Old Testament. That's who I believe he's talking about here. What about application to our present situation? Well, what John is saying to the Christians in the first century 
He's also saying to us, you know, our job as ministers is to build a bridge from that time to this present time. Not to change the word of God or alter it, but to just preach about it in its context and then make application. And the application that I want to make this morning is that if you are God's child by faith and trust in Jesus alone, then you are protected from the Antichrist. That's what, what it says. Verse 20, you, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have a special uh, blessing of Christ's presence in your life. From the Holy Spirit who has placed in you uh, the knowledge of the truth. If you are a child of God, you have nothing to fear from an Antichrist or the Antichrist. Because the Holy Spirit unites you to Christ. Christ tells us that he holds us in his hand. And nothing can snatch us out of his hand. The result of having the Holy Spirit is not signs and wonders. Note here. It's not um, having special prophetic uh, knowledge, which some twist today, in fact, some modern and antichrist do just that. Note what the Holy Spirit produces. Knowledge. You see it? You all have knowledge. You all have the true knowledge of Christ that saves you. And if you have that, you are you are in, invulnerable to anything the world might throw at you. And so, therefore, we don't live in fear of the devil and his minions. The spirit of Antichrist is very real. It's present in every generation. But in certain generations, it becomes more marked, more overt. And I believe, I know we are, I, I don't believe, I know we are living in such a time. And so I want to talk some more about what, what, is, what is the mark of the Antichrist. And I think the Antichrist is separate from the beast in Revelation, the two beasts in Revelation. I'm not talking about the mark of the beast. I've been happy to talk about that some other place, but that's not my subject this morning. The mark of the Antichrist, what, what denotes the Antichrist, is extremely obvious from the scripture that is before us. How can you tell an Antichrist? How can you tell that something is anti-Christian? And the answer is simple. It, it, it flows from lies. The spirit of Antichrist is the lie. I write to you not because you don't know the truth. You have knowledge of the truth because no lie is of the truth. That is the mark of Antichrist. What does 
and Antichrist, and what will the Antichrist ultimately do? It will deny the person of Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is God incarnate, and that he died for sinners, and he has risen, and that he will return. This is, um, again, I, I think it's well documented in, in uh, church history about Serentius. And Serentius uh, was, uh, was an arch heretic of that time. And, and we know from other extra biblical sources that John had interaction, direct interaction with Serentius all the way over to Ephesus. In fact, he, according to one historian, early historian, is recorded that John was on the way to the bathhouse in, in Ephesus. Some of you may have been there. I've never been to Ephesus, but here it's of uh, Roman cities. It's uh, one of the more spectacular ruins of Roman cities. But I've seen enough Roman city ruins to know that they're very similar. Yeah, they're always proud of their cardia, their main road. They're always proud of the pagan temple that dominates the Roman city. Uh, they're always uh, um, excited to show you the, the halls of shops that line the, the roads and the side roads and where the people lived. And it, in fact, it's pretty boring because they're almost always the same. I hate to say that, but it, 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 history is spectacular, but uh, it's laid out in the same way. One of the most Wonderful things they're proud of when they show you the Roman ruins are the bathhouses and how elaborate they are and how, how and, and that's the way people took baths. You didn't have your own private shower. You, you went to the public bathhouse and it's a huge facility in these Roman ruins. And so John and his uh, cohort were going to the public bathhouse. You had the men on one side, the women on the other. and. And uh, it was uh, quite an elaborate thing with the Roman plumbing and, and things all shown off, hot water or, or lukewarm water or whatever, which was quite an invention. And so on his way to the bathhouse, he sees Serentius and his disciples. And he cries out, run! For the walls of the bathhouse will fall in because Serentius is here. Now, now that's anecdotal, it's, but I believe it happened. And that's the attitude that a child of God should have to the lies of the Antichrist the false teachings of this world. Let us flee. Let us run. Let us get as far away from this as possible because the judgment of God is going to fall upon it. Throughout the history, the 2,000 year history of the church since the resurrection of Jesus, the church has been faced with various antichrist movements. It's a fact of history. And often the church has responded wrongly. 
when Muhammad began his vicious, violent crusade, there's no doubt that Muhammad, who claimed to be the Lord's only prophet, demanded a submission to him that he was an antichrist figure. There's no doubt, following Muhammad, that the Roman church sank deeper and deeper into a theology and a doctrine that said that salvation was by works, not by faith alone in Christ alone. In fact, as you look at the lives and the history of the reformers of Martin Luther, of John Calvin, you will find in their writings, all of them attributed to the various popes in Rome that he was the Antichrist. In fact, the first edition of our Confession of Faith in 1643 had a chapter in it that said the Pope was the Antichrist. I wouldn't say he's the Antichrist. I wouldn't say Muhammad and his, those who teach what Muhammad taught are the Antichrist, but I would certainly say that if they, if they're, what they teach is contrary to the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, it certainly is an antichrist. And today, there are a whole host of cults that deny that Jesus is the Christ. The Mormons deny it. The Jehovah's false witnesses deny it. You know, and I, I know we want to love everybody and get along with everybody. I think, I'll never forget my sweet, sweet grandmother when the Jehovah's Witness would come. She was nice to everybody and she would invite them to stay and talk and have coffee and feed them and whatever. And they would leave their watch tower and, and, and not, and so many people don't want to do, delve into what these false cults actually teach. It was a, well, she would just dismiss them with, we're all just taking a, the same path to the same, to the, a different path to the same place. And I thought, Mama Faust, no. Mm -hmm. But so often we treat these things like, like that when the, when the truth is these whole, there are whole movements that are anti-Christian. They deny the doctrine of Christ. Things like Christian science, as the late Dr. D. James Kennedy used to say, it's neither Christian nor science. There have been these things that are anti-Christ from the beginning. No lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? I would say the big, one of the biggest ones that we have is the whole modernist Christian movement that has denied the, the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture. And, and, and the very foundations. I, I, I grew up in, in, the, in a world where, where I, when I was look, as a young man looking at the various um, denominations of Christians, where wholesale 
the large uh, mainline denominations had, had denied these cardinal tenets of the Christian faith, like Jesus was born of a virgin. If that's not true, then the whole Bible is not true. Like, like um, uh, the deity of Christ, the whole reams of paper and, and pseudo scholarship have been devoted to denying the deity of Christ. The Bible says that is the Antichrist. That is an Antichrist. That is the spirit of Antichrist. It's a marvel to me that 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 the, the mainline church I grew up with is now in the in the process of, of fracture and going separate ways over over the the uh, the issue of of um, sexuality when it didn't over a whole host of other issues that's began to strike at the very vitals. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy to see the church be purified. There are too many, almost too many to list. I'm sure I have missed some, and some will come to your mind, no doubt, and I hope so. And I hope your reaction is to say, like John, run away from these things because they are wicked. They are against the gospel. <clears throat> to put no confidence at all in anything but the finished work of Christ. And my last point is this, that with confidence we can know because of what John says here, the Antichrist will be overthrown and his companions the beasts that are mentioned in revelation the, the, the all of the, his minions spiritual and human will be overthrown and will be cast into the lake of fire forever and so I, I, again where is your trust if you're afraid of these things, ask yourself why. Because Jesus said we need not fear. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And if, if you're still fearful, turn to Revelation chapter 20 and look at verse 10 and note that the devil, the beast, the false prophet, which is the Antichrist, all will be cast into the lake of fire forever and God's children will be victorious do you understand this it talks about there also that those whose name is written in the book of life will remain forever with Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven it is your name written in the book of life Nothing else matters. Nothing else should matter to you in this moment, whether your name is written. 
And the Holy Spirit alone can produce that in you, can bring you to that place of putting your faith in Jesus. And when he does, when he does this truly in your life, nothing else matters. And you know that nothing in this world can touch you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word which gives us confidence in the face of the many antichrists that are in this world. The false teaching, the wickedness, the vileness, the rebellion, the confidence that we can know that one day it will all be overthrown. In the meantime, help us to remember that we were once rebellious, we were once deserving judgment and death forever, and that you had mercy on us when you plucked us from uh, this evil. And help us to give strong testimony to those who uh, walk in darkness still, who are possessed by these uh, uh, false teachings that Jesus is less than the Word of God makes it clear that he is the eternal Son of God, God himself, God incarnate, who came into this world to save sinners by his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Lord Jesus, we look to you this morning to fulfill all these promises, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.